Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me again tonight in the book of Psalms. And uh, this evening, look with me at Psalm 32. Join me there, please. Psalm 32. So good to see you in attendance tonight. Look at, uh, look at verse number 1, Psalm 32 and verse number 1. The Bible says, blessed is, he, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Does your Bible say that? In other, words, in other words, the psalmist is simply saying this, ain't it good to be saved? Huh? Ain't it good to be forgiven? Right? Nothing like it. Isn't it great being forgiven? Think about it. It really is. To think about the fact that the Lord was so gracious to pay for our sin in the cross of Calvary and offer us a, you know, a forgiveness and a salvation. Boy, it's, just, it's good to be saved. It's good to be forgiven. You know, it was David who wrote Psalm 32. And, uh, and, and he wrote this psalm after. He wrote it after his sin. His sin of adultery. And then, of course, his sin of trying to cover it up. He didn't just commit adultery, but he kind of, you know, added insult to injury and then tried to cover up his sin. That's when he writes the after his sin. After, in fact, after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, the man of God, he wrote this psalm after he was under heavy conviction by the Holy Spirit of God. And, um, and, he, and he wrote it after he wrote Psalm 51. You ever read Psalm 51? Psalm 51 is David's declaration of confession. And in Psalm 51, David is doing a thorough job of bearing his heart, and we get to read it. Wouldn't it be an unbelievable thing if, you know, you and I, we confessed our most intimate sins unto the Lord? And they got recorded and then passed on so that others can read. Hello. Well, that's what happens in Psalm 51. David begins to bear his heart, and uh, he's confessing uh, his sin. And what he says, if you ever read Psalm 51, is this. Basically, he acknowledges his sin, and then he asks the Lord to, to cleanse him thoroughly. Right? Wash me thoroughly cleanse me. And then he said this, he said, then will I use my testimony to lead others to this same place, this same place. I'll use my testimony so that others might be converted, right? So Lord, I confess the fact that I've sinned and I've sinned a great sin, but I'm asking you to forgive me and wash me thoroughly, cleanse me, then, he says, will I convert sinners, or I will allow my testimony of what you've done for me 
to be used so that others might come out of their bondage of sin, right? Psalm 32 is a fulfillment of that promise. So David acknowledges his sin in Psalm 51. He confesses his sin, sin of adultery. I mean to tell you, he was in a bad way. You know, he was out of fellowship. His spiritual life had dried up. He comes to the place where he's confronted by his sin or for his sin. Uh, he confesses it, and then he makes this promise that now I'm going to use my testimony, what I've been through, to help others get through it as well. Psalm 32 is a fulfillment of that promise. And, and what you see here in Psalm 32 uh, is David speaking about the blessing of being forgiven. You know, I mean to tell you, he's just overwhelmed by the fact that God has so graciously forgiven him. God had given a whole lot. And you know, the Bible teaches this, to whom much is given, much shall be required. And David understood that. And now he's forgiven, and he's, he's blessed by it, and now he's teaching others how to find genuine forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness. You know, it's one thing to forgive, it's another thing to be forgiven. Did you hear that? You know, sometimes we suffer with the idea of forgiveness because it's not so much that we have a disbelief that God can forgive me, but it's, it's us forgiving ourselves, you know? It's actually, you know, putting that forgiveness into practice. And the scriptures teach us this, that if, if we're going to forgive others, then we first must experience genuine forgiveness. And that's what happened at the cross of Calvary. Genuine forgiveness has been, you know, exhibited and, and offered. So David here sins a great sin, but he experiences a great forgiveness. In Psalm 6, he said this. He, he shares the, the suffering of his sin. He talks about the affliction of his sin. And in Psalm 6, verse 1, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger. And then he said this, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. In other words, David was worn out from trying to cover up his sin. It takes a whole lot of work when you try to cover up your sin. And now he's experienced the peace of forgiveness, and he wants to share it with us. And so from his own mouth, we begin to read Psalm 32, verses, verses 1 through 11. Let's, let's take a look at it. Look at verse 1 again. We'll read verse 1 and 2. He said this, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And so the idea here in verses 1 and 2 is, is David saying this, there's an absolute need in our lives for forgiveness, right? We need to be forgiven. And, uh, and you know, David was a great king, wasn't he? And he was a great, he was a great, he was a great saint. He was a great believer. Um, Bible says this, God's speaking, God said this about David, he's a man after my own heart. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? But even though all that was said about David, he was a sinner, and some would say even a great sinner. And now what he's doing is he's going to teach us about his sin and how he dealt with it so that we might dealt with it as well, deal with it as well. And he begins to label some things for us. And I want to go down the line. Are you with me up there, fellas? Keep moving to the next slide, the need. Uh, he begins to talk about, you know, his failures, and he categorizes them for us. And the very first thing you see there in verse number two, uh, verse number one is, blessed is he whose transgression 
is, you see it? Forgiven. That word transgression kind of gives this idea, because uh, David's being thorough. You know, do you, you ever hear this? Uh, you know, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't confess at bargain prices. I mean, you got to be thorough when you're confessing your sin. And as David begins to look at his life, you know, he begins to speak about the ways in which he failed God, and he uses the word transgression. That word transgression kind of gives this implication. It, it speaks about kind of crossing over a line, you know? I mean, the line has been drawn, and we have willfully, openly rebelled by kind of crossing over that line. Are you with me? Uh, and I said this, it's kind of like a picture of defiance. I've always looked at it this way. The word of God is God drawing the line in the sand, right? And God tells us what he expects from us. He tells us what to do, what not to do. And it's pretty clear, you know? And I, I, know, I, I know sometimes we, we don't like to be reminded of the thou shalt nots, you know? Uh, and we don't like to be reminded that, you know, our mistakes really are sins. But that's the way the Bible records it. That's the way the Bible declares it. And he talks about, David speaks about his, his sin or his failure as being a transgression. Where, l l listen to this. He knew that he willfully rebelled against God. You know, it, it wasn't something that, uh, you know, he, he just, you know, it happened. No, he willfully rebelled against God. And it's a picture of defiance. Did you ever see, did you ever see a child who has defiance in their eye? Did you ever see a defiant child? I mean, you can just look in their eye and they, you know, right? It's kind of, it always reminds me of that old story of the Sunday school teacher who was talking to little David. And she said for the 15th time, David, would you please sit down? David finally sat down, and he looked at her. He said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> That's defiant. That's defiant. And think about this. When God draws the line, and we openly, willfully, deliberately step over the line, that's defiant. Are you with me? Now, David's not speaking about you or I. He's speaking about himself. And he's saying, you know, when I, when I did what I did, it was absolute defiance against God. It's transgression. I crossed over the line. But then he goes on and he calls it sin. Look in verse number one again. Whose sin is covered. And when you talk about sin, you know, the Bible speaks about sin as kind of like missing the mark. You know, it speaks of kind of, kind of best way to illustrate it is, is kind of like a, a bent or crooked arrow that just, it just won't fly right, you know? And it's kind of, it's kind of a picture of, of a defect, you know? When you go down, you know, all the, the hunters that are here, deer hunters who like to use the bow and the arrow, when you go buy, you know, your, your arrows for hunting, you don't buy bent arrows, Right? If you went down to Dick's Sporting Good or your hunting supply store and you were looking at arrows and there was a slew of arrows and there were some bent ones, you would say that one has a defect. And you certainly wouldn't want a bent arrow unless you're trying to maybe shoot that arrow around a tree. Right? 
There's a deer on the other side of that tree, so I think I'll use this bent arrow and try to get around the tree. So David's saying this. Now, he's talking about his own sin. He calls it a transgression, an act of defiance. And then he says this. He talks about his sin as being a defect in his life. Are you with me? Just think about that for a second. When you and I sin, it proves that there is a defect in our lives. God didn't want it to be that way. God didn't make, it that, make us that way. But we were born now with a sin nature, and that sin nature has caused a defect. I wouldn't call it a designer flaw, but I'd call it a, a, certainly a defect in our nature. Sin is what David calls it. He was born in sin, defective. And then look at the next verse. He talks about iniquity. He said, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Iniquity, uh, I think we would say this, it's, it gives the implication of something that's distorted. And so now David is, is talking about his very nature being distorted. He's doing a pretty thorough job here talking about his sin, isn't he? Huh? He, say, he said this, now get this, he says in Psalm 51, in confessing his sin, Lord, wash me thoroughly cleanse me, and I promise you that I will use my testimony to convert others. Psalm 32 is a fulfillment, and he's not saying, hey, blessed is the individual who's saved. You know, all you got to do is just fess up and everything's good. No, man, he outlines it. Huh. He's trying to tell us this, that when he sinned, he sinned willfully. You know, and he committed a great sin against God. He lists it as iniquity. And then the final thing he, he, he says is this. Look in verse number two again. He said, and, and in whose spirit there is no guile. You know what guile is? Guile is deception. Speaking about being deceptive now. And so when you look at this, David is giving us a clear picture of, of what he did in his life. He was defiant. He, he felt as if he was acting, you know, in, in a way that just was totally displeasing to God. And he's praying, God, please allow me now to be an encouragement to others. And what he does here in this passage of Scripture is pretty much this. He goes on to inform us that all of this can be taken care of. For example, our transgressions can be forgiven. Uh, our sins can be covered or put out of sight. Yeah, one of my favorite Bible verses is where the psalmist talks about his sins being remembered no more as far as the east is from the west. Right? They never, they never touch. So far hath God removed our sin. Aren't you glad of that? You know, he doesn't bring it up. It's like the old person said, it's kind of like he takes it out and puts it in the deepest sea and puts up a sign, no fishing. Right? God doesn't remember our sin any longer. And so the psalmist says our, our transgressions can be forgiven, our sins covered, our iniquities can be imputed, and our heart can be free of guile. And so here's David who goes into a deep pit, deep pit of sin, but by God's amazing grace, he rises again. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's talking about here in Psalm number 32. Kind of like to him it as well with my soul. The hymn writer said this, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, listen, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It is well with my soul. So David is expressing here in this psalm the need for forgiveness. But look at, look at verse number three, because he begins to talk about the path 
that he took toward forgiveness. Look what he says. He said, when I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, my hand was heavy upon me. He said, my moisture is turned into, into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. So now he's sharing with us the path that he takes for this forgiveness. And it's an interesting path. He goes on and he talks about this. It's a, it's a process. And he speaks about chastisement, right? He, he, he talks about how, how, how he was rebuked and how God began to work in his life. And look at verse number four. Day and night thy hand was what? Heavy upon me. And my moisture, he said, is turned into the drought of summer. Let's get practical for a moment. Have you ever... Have you ever done anything to where, I mean, it was heavy and it stayed with you for a while? And even though you may have asked forgiveness, it was just there. And it was as if, you know, it just wouldn't leave you alone. I can recall probably just one time in my life when that really happened to me and I just couldn't get past it. I was serving as a youth pastor. This is a number of years ago. And, uh, and I had to uh, I had to work a part-time job. And so in working, working this part-time job, it was, it was, it was a customer-related job. And I had, I had approximately 300 customers a month that I had to service. And at, every, at the end of every month, man, you had to have your quota met, you know? And I, I remember this, this one customer that every time I would schedule them and go to their house to service their house, they would stand me up. They wouldn't be there. And I'd have to recall and go back and recall and go back. And probably it would take me three or four calls, maybe two times a month going back and forth before I would catch them. And they would have to sign the service receipt. And so one month, the manager's manager said, man, everybody's got to make quota. And it was coming down to the final day of the month. And, uh, and I went by that person's house for the second or third time. And I remember just being, and I'm a youth pastor at this time. And I remember just being really just, I'm going to rip this guy's head off. And so you know what I did, Tony? I signed that receipt as if I did the service. And I put it in as completed. I promise you, all the way back to the office with that signed receipt, and I just scribbled something, you know. All the way back to the office, I, I, wasn't, I just wasn't sitting right. But I put it in as being done because it was the last day of the month and they wanted it done. I put it in as done and I figured I'll work this thing out. Well, a week passed by, two weeks passed by, a month went by. And it's not like I forgot it, but it was, it was back here. And then my manager called me in one day, and he said, um, he said, Sal, let me see you for a second. Come on to the office. And I went in, and he pulled out that receipt. <laughs> and all I can think about was, boy, he, I'm, I'm, I'm caught red-handed. And I felt like the prophet Nathan and David. And he said to me, this customer... Is, is denying uh, service. They're saying that you never showed up, but we have their signed receipt. Now, he knew I was a youth pastor. I had an unbelievable testimony in the office. People would come to me and ask me to pray for them. He would give me special days off so I can go take my youth to Hershey Park or whatever. And so he looked at me as if he wanted me to say, yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. But I did. And, and immediately when he said it, I said, his name was Bill. I said, Bill, 
I, I, I signed it. I signed it and put it in. And, and he, didn't, he didn't fall back. He, didn't, he just said, what happened? And I told him the story. And he said, okay, I get it. He said, no big deal. We'll credit them. I said, no, Bill, it is a big deal. And I, I confessed to him. I said, I should have never done that. I felt bad all month about it. Blah, 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 blah. And I just, you know, and he said, listen, hey, hey. He said, take a deep breath. It's okay. I'll give him a credit. You know, we'll work it out. No problem. They didn't cancel. You know, they're just denying. I said, all right, fine. And it, and it went on. But you know, I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of that. And I mean, it lingered in my mind that I did that. And I would feel every time I would walk into the office, and nobody knew it but him, I always felt like he was looking at me as if, boy, you, you really, you really marked. And he, he didn't, but I felt that way. And it got so bad, this was about a month later now, it got so bad that I, it, it would wake me up in the middle of the night. And I mean to tell you, I'm talking about signing a $25 receipt. I could have paid it. The manager already said, taken care of, I've given them credit. But I couldn't get it out of my conscience. And I confessed it to the Lord, and, but I would wake up in the middle of the night. And I mean, this thing was heavy upon me. I couldn't get rid of it, you know? And, 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 and a couple of nights, I'm not kidding, Donald, I tell you the truth, a couple of nights, I would hear sirens outside, and I would wake up and run to the front window. And I thought, for sure, they're coming for me. They locked me up for 25 bucks. So one Wednesday night, went to church. I mean, to tell you, I couldn't get rid of this thing. Are you listening real good? I couldn't get rid of this thing. And, and I was sitting in service, and I don't really remember what the pastor was preaching, but at the end of the service, the Holy Spirit said to me, go tell the pastor what you did. And I remember saying, what? I'm not telling him. And he said, you need to go tell your pastor. I said, why? He said, you just need to go tell your pastor. I said, all right. So after the service was well over, when I was in his office, I went to the pastor's office. I said, preacher, you got a minute? He said, sure, come on in. I'm a youth pastor now. I'm his youth pastor. And I said, I got, I got to share something with you. I said, I know you're not my priest. I said, but I, I need to get this off my chest. And I, and I shared it with him, you know, and he started laughing because, you know, I tell him I'm waking up in the middle of the night hearing sirens thinking they're going to arrest me. And he's laughing and he said, listen, he said, man, all right, you confess it, make it right, all right. I'm thinking he's going to, you can't be a youth pastor no more. How can you lead these kids if you're lying at the job? I mean, I was concocting all kinds of, kind of like David was saying here in this text. Did you see it? Day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. But I'll tell you something, man. Sin in a believer's life can be weighty. So I told my pastor, I left the service, and I'm feeling, man, I feel pretty good. You're not going to believe this, Brother Riddell. Preacher, on the way home, the Holy Spirit said, now tell your wife. I wanted to jump out of the car. <laughs> tell my wife, what has she got to do with this? And I'm driving home, it was a 16-mile ride from our church to our house, and I'm fighting with them all the way. I have, a, I have a history of fighting with God. And I'm fighting with them all the way, and I'm saying, I ain't telling her. He said, you better tell her if you want to sleep tonight. <laughs> so I remember this, we're coming over the Delo or the... Um, the Gerard Point Bridge, and I, I kind of, I just said, ha, you're not going to believe what I did. <laughs> yeah, I kind of played it off. I didn't say, Don, I got to commit, you got to confess a sin. She probably thought, what? Stop this car, what are you? No, you're not going to believe what I did. And I, and I told her, Steve, I told her. And I don't know her response. It was almost like, what's the big deal? For me, it was a big deal. 
And after I told her that, I promise you, it was, it was released. And so when you, when you look at what the psalmist is going through here, he's talking about something that was really heavy upon his heart that was plaguing him, that he could just not get past until, until he did a thorough search of his heart. And the reason I bring that up today, tonight, in this Bible study is because there's a lot of, a lot of Christians, there's, there's a number of God's kids that are living with unconfessed sin in their life. You know what David did? When, when David tried to hide his sin, when he tried to cover it up, he suffered a great loss. As a soldier, as a soldier, he lost his strength. As a singer, he lost his song. As a saint, he lost his satisfaction. There was, there was no success in his life, and he realized it. So you know what he does? Huh? He's confronted by the man of God, the word of God, and he fesses up. That's the first step. You just confess. Amen? But let me, let's, let's not assume anything here because assuming things could be dangerous. What, what is confession? What is confession? You say, well, we, we confess. Well, what is confession? Lord, uh, man, I, I just, forgive me, I, I messed up. Lord, forgive me, I, I know I probably said something wrong. I used to be Catholic. And as a Catholic, you know what we used to have to do? Go to confession, right? How many used to be Catholic? How many are still Catholic? <laughs> I thought you were, Steve. How many have never been a Catholic, never been a Catholic? Have no idea what you do in a confessional? You know what you do in a confessional? You go in, it's a little dark box, Right? You're kneeling next to the priest, right? And you're supposed to tell him what you've done wrong, your sin, and he's going to give you penance so your sin can be absolved. And so it begins like this you kneel down, you make the sign of the cross, and you say something like this Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Now, I don't want to give anybody flashbacks. And- Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been. You haven't confessed in seven days? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let me take a walk over here. (laughs) But here's the kicker. You lie right there because normally you say, bless me, Father, I have sinned. It has been, oh, two weeks since my last confession. It's been two years. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been seven days since my last confession, and these are my sins. It's so mechanical. And then you're supposed to, but you know what I used to say? I remember saying this. I think, I think, I think I may have, you think you may have? If I was the priest, I would have said, you think you may have? Well, did you or didn't you? I'm not sure. Well, go back out and come back in, and let's start this over. You think you may have? But that, that's the fraud of the whole thing. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing as Baptists or as Christians, where we kneel down and we, we, we put on this charade. Are you paying good attention? We put on this charade. Huh? I mean, we've been told this, that, you know, as you pray, you follow, you know, that adoration and then the confession and the thanksgiving and the supplication. But, and when it comes to confession... It's almost like we're Catholic. I think I may have. I'll never forget one time. I was confessing sin. 
And I, I thought I was finished. And all of a sudden, the Lord said this to me, John. He said, what about this? And, he, and he, he named a person in my heart. Now, I didn't hear an audible voice, but he named a person in my heart, you know? And it's almost like he said, you, you got ought against that person. And you know what I said? Steve, I said, uh-uh. What are you talking about? God is pointing out in my life. See, when you get really right with God and you get close to God and you want to be real with God, he'll do that for you, Donald. He'll point out some things that you said yesterday or some things you looked at last week or maybe things you've done right before you knelt down that are wrong. And you know what confession is? It's just simply agreeing with God. I agree. I agree. Lord, I agree that when I was driving down State Road 42, Black Horse Pike, and that guy jumped in front of me and put his brakes on and went 15 miles slower, I agree that I called him an absolute idiot, New Jersey driver. I hope your car blows up. Back tires fall off. Hope you have never have another day of rest in your life. Are you with me? I agree, that was, that was wrong, I was sin. I agree. See, that's what confession is. Did you ever read 1 John 1, 9? Here's what he says. If we ask God to forgive us, he'll forgive us. It's not what the Bible says. He says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He didn't say you gotta get down the bed, oh, please God, please forgive, I'll never do it again, please forgive me. Oh, where we ever, where we get, we got that from Hollywood. We got that from some movie or some, Bible just simply says if we confess, if we agree, we're forgiven. But we have to do that thorough search of our heart. It's not kneeling down and saying, oh, Lord, I know yesterday I probably messed up, so forgive me, please. Really? You're going to treat Sin that way? It's no wonder you have no power in your life. It's no wonder you have no peace in your life. It's no wonder you're a nervous wreck. It's no wonder you're filled with anxiety. It's not that you need more medication. You need some confession. And by the way, don't come to my office afterwards because I can't help you with it. You got to go and get alone with God. That's what the psalmist says here. He was confronted by his sin. I mean, it's like he was swimming in tears every night, Donald, until, until he fessed up. Huh? The path, the path he took. He lost his strength. He lost his song. He lost his satisfaction. He lost his peace until he fessed up. Uh, think about this. God already knows what we've done. Huh? Uh, he saw the thought like a seed form in our mind. He watched our body as the action took place, and then he witnessed us try to cover up. You know how I know that? Because Proverbs 15, verse number 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And so trying to cover up, trying to hide our sin is never beneficial. For the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, he that confesseth and forsaketh his sin. So it's confession. And that forsaking simply meaning you realize how serious it is. Huh? I mean, to tell you, Lord, I just have a hard time with, with my, my I, I, everything comes out of my mouth is derogatory. I'm so sarcastic. And so I confess it. 
and, and I'm going to try, I'm going to try to forsake it. I know how serious it is. It might be my besetting sin. Because we all have one. The besetting sins, the things that we easily fall into. Huh? Look here, there are some things that you and I don't do anymore. Aren't you glad? Right? You know, I, I, I can never see myself, I can never see myself smoking a cigarette or drinking a beer, playing cards. I can never see myself doing that. Right? So I don't have to confess those things. Now, I'm, I'm not prideful because I know, given the right situation, I can fall into anything. But, but, I can see myself criticizing, gossiping, manipulating. Huh? I can, and the list goes on. I'm just talking about some of the things you do. <laughs> huh? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, amen. So, uh, it's good to confess it. And the forsaking simply means this, you're serious about it. You're not just saying, well, I know I messed up yesterday, I was a little sarcastic, I want to try better today. No, you're serious about it. You know that it's offensive and it's your besetting sin. Huh? And then finally, David speaks to us about the result, the product of forgiveness. And he begins to list the great benefits of being forgiven, as if we don't know. Right? But let, let, let's read on. Look at verse number six. He says, uh, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. And so he's speaking to us, first of all, about, about divine protection. Divine protect. Verse number six. If you're taking notes, if you like to do outlines, divine protection. You know, the psalmist says, basically in that verse, those who walk with the Lord enjoy a place of refuge and safety. We're protected by God. You know, I think this, if David would have just prayed, if David would have been where David should have been, David would not have fallen into sin. Right? There's protection in the Lord. You've heard me say this, I think, a few weeks back in one of our, one of our studies about the hedge that God places about us. You ought to pray a hedge about yourself every day and then do everything in your power to stay within that hedge. Because the, the wise man Solomon said, if you break through a hedge, a serpent might bite you. So when you, when you cross over that line, when you break that hedge, there's no protection basically. Right? Are, are you with me? Look, look, at, look at verse number 7. He talks about divine preservation. He says, thou art my hiding place. Isn't that good? Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. Talks about div div divine preservation. You know this. Troubles are a part of, of life, a big part of his life. However, when we walk with God, we're preserved in those, in those times. And he uses those difficulties. You know, we're not exempt from them. God uses them to build us, equip us, grow us, mature us. That's why they come our way, right? David's saying he's thanking the Lord for his preservation. And then look at verses 8 and 9. Let's read that together. He said this, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. He's talking there, there about divine proximity. Look, I will guide thee with 
my eye. He's close. Remember I talked last week in the psalm about how sometimes God whispers, and the reason he whispers is because he wants you to lean in and get close. Uh, when he talks to David here, when David talks about, you know, being forgiven, he talks about being close to God, so close that God can even warn us with his eye. Did you ever do that? Did you ever warn somebody? You know, <laughs> did you ever do this with your kids? You know, you walk into a situation, go in somebody's house or maybe in the public arena, and you say to your children when they're young, going in now, hey, hey, mind your manners. And then when you're in the public arena, and, you know, your son or your daughter's about to do something, you give them that eye. Huh? You know, that eye of warning. See, when you're close enough to God, you can see his eye of warning. Did you see what he said there? Look at it again. You missed it. He will guide thee with mine eye. I will guide thee with mine eye. God doesn't even have to speak. You're so close that you can just read his eyes. That's what being forgiven will do for you, divine proximity. Look at the next verse. Look at verse number 10. He talks about divine peace. He said, many sorrows shall be to who? The wicked. But he that trusteth in thee, mercy shall compass him about. That speaks for itself. That's divine peace. That's having the peace of Almighty God in your life. Isn't that good? Nothing like peace. I was talking to somebody the other day. I forget who it was, and so I'm exempt from embarrassing you. But there are times when people call me up and say, preacher, I got this situation. What should I do? And, I, and, and I'll say, what's your gut telling you? And say, my gut's saying, do this. What's your head telling you? Well, my head's saying, do this. What's the Lord telling you? I'm not sure. And here's my principle for that. I use this in my life for everything. It's Colossians 3, verse 15. You know what it says? It says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Huh? And, and uh, years ago, Mrs. Janizzi and I were prevented from making major mistakes in our life because my pastor said, you ought to, before you make a decision, put 24 hours of prayer, major decisions, put 24 hours of prayer into it. And let God give you the confidence, the peace, before you move forward. And if you're uncertain, he said this, don't do anything. Don't do anything. And so there's many times I talk to individuals and I'll say this, let the peace of God rule. And if you're uncertain, don't do anything. Just wait. Why? Because God desires to give us divine peace. Paul calls it peace that passes understanding. Can't put my finger on it. I should be falling apart. I, I should be crumbling, but I'm not. Why? Because of the peace of God divine peace. And then finally, verse number 11, he talks there about divine praise. He said, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. And what? Shout for joy. Don't you like that? Look up here for a second, class. When was the last time you shouted for joy? When was the last time you just rejoiced in the Lord? When was the last time you got so happy in Jesus that you said to yourself, I can't stand myself? If I get any happier, I'm going to bust. You say, is that even possible? Yeah, well, look at your life. Everything's coming up like roses. Really? Do you, you, you really think that's what? Look here. Happiness is a byproduct. 
It's a byproduct of joy, not happenings. And when you get the joy of the Lord, which, by the way, is an element of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, when you get the joy of the Lord, he makes you happy. And so your finances might be tight. You can still be happy. Huh? I mean, to tell you, your car engine may have just blown up. You can still be happy. People might think you're a little crazy. But when you got the joy of the Lord, when you have that divine peace, he enables you to have divine praise. And that's what it's all about. Do you remember that first song we sung here just a little bit ago? Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. But there was one verse that said this, all my life was wrecked by sin and strife, discord filled my heart with pain, Jesus swept across the broken strings, stirred the slumbering chords again. Huh? Let's sing it. You ready? Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Isn't that awesome? David speaks to us about being forgiven. And he begins the whole psalm by saying, ain't it, ain't it good to be forgiven? Isn't it awesome to know your sins are forgiven? I trust tonight you've experienced that forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the psalmist. Thank you for allowing him to share his life, share his heart, share his experiences, sharing his, his wisdom with us when he, when he talks about his own sin. I'm so glad that he just nailed it, that he called it what it was. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't designer flaw. It was willful rebellion. He deliberately crossed over the line, and sometimes we do the same. But as he was forgiven, as he was restored, so can we be. And I would pray if there's anyone here tonight who's really plagued under the grip of sin, I pray that tonight you'll give him some victory, some healing, some grace, forgiveness and maybe even to the place where they forgive themselves. Help us, oh God, help us to be happy people simply because we're a forgiven people. And for that, we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.